Have you ever dreamed of one day owning your own business, but just don't know where to begin? Then you've tuned into the right show. On All Things Franchising, you will hear from top national franchisers, successful franchisees, attorneys, CPAs, and others who support this fast-growing business model. So grab a cup of coffee and pen and notepad because you will want to capture the invaluable information you hear on today's show. And now, here is your host, Linda Ballesteros. Hey folks, welcome to All Things Franchising. This is Linda Ballesteros. I'm your host today. I appreciate you spending time with me. And we're going to venture into the recycling industry. Yes, recycling, and that is all part of franchising. Let me talk just a little bit about recycling in general. Uh, The U.S. EPA, I recently read an article that said the U.S. EPA estimates that textile waste occupies nearly 5% of all landfill space. So that means when you throw that blouse away, you throw that T-shirt away, you throw those jogging shorts away, you're taking up space in our landfill. Uh, the public, however, the public demand for green solutions has been higher, has never been higher. So we all are aware that there needs to be something to take place with, and we knew, know that, um, that we're all becoming more and more green uh, knowledgeable, but we just don't know where to begin. Um, even though that, that our Uh, demand has become higher, the recycling textile recovery industry remains virtually untapped. Well, until now. Today we're going to be talking to Nick Braryu, and he he is the certified franchise executive and chief Operating Officer of Close Bin Franchise. Close Bin has developed a proven process for the collection, management, and distribution of clothes, shoes, and textiles throughout the U.S. Help me in welcoming Nick. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Linda. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I am so glad that you're here. This is such a unique franchise concept, Nick. How did you get involved with Clothesbin? Sure. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's still unique to me. It's still changing every single day. I've been in franchising pretty much since uh, I was a senior in college at, uh, at FSU in Tallahassee. And uh, my background was in uh, food franchising. And that was what I was used to, the 15 to 20 employees, the 15 hours a day, uh, menu changes, advertising, marketing, real estate, all the things that go along with, with big box food franchising. And uh, in 2012, 2013, I was doing franchise consulting, and I was introduced by a, a mutual friend of mine uh, to Mark Douglas, who eventually became my business partner in this industry. And he opened my eyes to this industry that he'd been involved with since 1986. So for me, you know, seeing that he'd been involved in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, he had stuck with this as a core business, even though he was a serial entrepreneur, that was very interesting to me because something that was new to franchising a lot of times has 
it's very brand new and hasn't really been proven. But the fact that Mark had done this, that he had been involved uh, in the thrift industry, he'd taken a company public um, back in the 90s and back private in 2001 in the thrift industry and, and also had bins and had been working on this collection, this recycling process and supplying thrift stores. So he told me about this industry and I had a, a pretty bad uh, misconception about it and he really helped educate me about the process and uh, that's kind of how we got started. So I started with him uh, on a consulting basis, and I, I really liked the concept so much. I liked the challenge that it would be the, the first textile recycling franchise in the industry. So I told Mark, I said, you know what? I'd like to become partners with you. I won't be able to you know, continue doing the consulting that I'm doing, but let's go ahead and, and put this together. So that's, uh, that's how I got started with Clothesbend. Well, it is such a, a unique idea, and I do believe that more and more people are looking at thrift stores not as um, a, a lower way to buy, buy um, clothes, but as a, a great way to have access to affordable clothing. And many times it's designer stuff. Just because it's at a thrift store, that certainly doesn't mean that it's not designer. So tell me, Nick, a little bit about the services that Clothesbin actually offers. What is, what is the product? How does that work? Sure. Well, I think you bring up a really great point. And, and I think people maybe forget about that, especially maybe Gen Z, millennials that, are, that um, would choose to uh, buy used clothing over maybe fast fashion or other types of clothes from uh, traditional clothing stores. But, you know, Mark always talks about, and, it's, and it's, it's funny to hear, but he said, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, you know, it wasn't the, the most talked about way to shop. You know, it wasn't that mm -hmm. popular. And maybe you went into those types of stores and, and, you know, something would kind of fall off the shelf and hit you in the head or they weren't really well lit. Um, right. That's definitely changed. It's, it's changed even in the last five years. Um, I would say that just the amount of press nationally and internationally, um, whether it be the New York Times, on television, interviews, uh, everything about, you know, wearing clothes again and recycling and doing that. So our business is our bins are in between the landfills. So our goal is to recycle the 85% of textiles that end up in the landfills. So over about 17 billion pounds, you referenced the EPA, and per the EPA, over 17 billion pounds a year of clothing end up in landfills, making up that 5%. So what we're trying to do is we're not looking to compete with anyone. We're not looking to, if you're wanting to give away your clothes to your favorite charity or places that you're going to do that, we are in that same group that are only recycling 15%. So the, you know, the goal of our bins are to be in high traffic areas with great visibility, ease of access to the bins. They're open 24 seven. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into talking about COVID and Corona, but our bins are contactless. Um, and that's something that uh, we've looked to do and partner around the country with our bins. So we provide a service that's convenient um, for contributors to place their clothing into the bins. And on the backside, which I'm sure we'll get into as well, we assist our franchisees with taking those clothes and helping them to resell those clothes, whether it be locally to thrift stores that are in their territory or through our national buyer program. So I have cleaned up my closet and I have trash bags full of clothes. Mm 
and I find a clothes bin drop off, and I place all of these clothes in there. Where do they go from there, Nick? Sure. So inside of each bin, we have a proprietary technology uh, named BLIP, and BLIP stands for Bin Location Information Program. And, uh, you know, you may see other bins out there. They're not going to be from a franchise company, but some of the things that we have different is that technology to monitor and make sure that the bins are not overflowing. Um, The bins themselves are made with galvanized steel, powder-coated paint, bright green for recycling, uh, 3M UV laminated signage, anything that we can try to make a bin look better or more presentable and last on the street because that is our brand. But we're only servicing the bins when the technology tells us that that the bins are filling up. So we're not wasting carbon footprint on driving around to all different bins and maybe one's overflowing and the landlord's upset and the other one maybe only had one bag of clothing in it. But the technology is routing the trucks to go to each of those bins. So a franchisee will typically have one or two part-time employees that run the routes and the franchisee manages that technology. Once the clothes have been collected from the bins, so the bottom of the uh, door opens up, they're able to take the clothing out of the bins, we don't go through any of the clothes. So that's an important um, differentiator Mm -hmm. as well, is that we're not looking for the name brand clothes or trying to take out the nice shoes or the purses or accessories. We're collecting everything as untouched goods, and we also accept everything. So... If you've gone to a place and tried to maybe donate clothing before and they've given it back to you because they can't place it on a hanger for sale, we still take those types of items because we're assisting our franchisees with finding their buyers to sell those goods. And the buyers of the goods are the ones who go through, grade the clothing, in some cases up to 200 grades of clothing in a load that they would uh, receive. And they're the ones where maybe a shirt is um, not able to be resold. So they can put those into 800-pound bales, make wiper cloths and rags, and be able to you know, export those as well all around the world. Just that, that seems like such a huge task for your buyer, but evidently there are people out there that are looking for these types of items. Who is, your, who is it that your franchisees actually partner with and sell these items to? Sure. So uh, we've worked with, um, to, I guess to use the name that people are probably familiar with, we've worked with Savers uh, thrift stores um, in different regions throughout the country that they've been a great partner for our franchisees where the, the thrift stores count on the clothes as much as our franchisee counts on selling them the clothes. So mm-hmm. some of these stores, the volume that one thrift store can do, they may sell or buy 25 to 30,000 pounds of clothes per week. So wow. when our franchisees are looking to partner with, um, you know, and be able to sell the goods, they're not looking for 20 or 30 buyers. They may find one buyer that can buy more than they could ever collect. And mm-hmm. the biggest thing that people are looking for, again, is that we're not going through the goods. We're not creaming off the top and taking the best items away. They know they're going to have the entire gamut from top to bottom of quality and condition of clothes, um, but that's credential clothing, and, and that's how we partner with them. Wow. 
So, Nick, when let's talk a little bit about what this looks like from a franchisee's perspective. So you talked sure. about having just a couple of employees, um, a couple of trucks. Now, how many bins can a franchisee anticipate having to to build this business? Sure. So, so that's a great question, and, and every time I hear a, a question like that, it kind of reminds me of when we were putting everything together, whether it was you know, putting together the FDD, putting together item seven with the breakdown of costs. We really right. started with a, with a blank sheet of paper. Um, I was able to use my franchising background and teams of professionals I've used and Mark's experience in the industry to, to put that together. But what we have is a um, protected territory, and it's protected by zip codes. So each franchisee and exhibit A of their franchise agreement will have all of those zip codes listed there. So whether you're placing a bin at a religious organization, a shopping center, a church, or a school, all of those, as long as that zip code is in your territory, is included. So they're able to um, place their bins there. The minimum bins for any territory, so the minimum purchase, if you will, to become a franchisee, is 40 bins. So that is the minimum but there is no maximum. So there's, there's never any pressure to add more bins, but if you'd like to get into the business, get your 40 bins up and running, and you'd like to add 10, 20 or more bins to your franchise territory, you're able to add additional bins at a later time or in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now, do, do you at closed bins, do you help your franchisees initially to identify those locations where they can place those bins? We do. Um, you know, it was interesting. When we were trying to figure out um, our target franchisee in the beginning, we thought there would be more people that maybe had part-time jobs that would want to be more owner-operators. Uh, but mm-hmm. how it's ended up, uh, our first franchisee opened in November of 2016. So we're almost at the four-year mark. But what we found is that the majority, approximately 90% of our franchisees, have another full-time job um, in addition to closed in. Closed in is a secondary investment for them or an additional investment for them. But, you know, they wanted to have that help. So in our initial training program, we visit each franchisee's territory for at least one week in person. We do a lot of um, prior demographic work of putting together uh, where we're looking to target for locations. And we go out there and we assist our franchisees during that training program with signing up locations. And it's our goal to sign up as many as possible. But, you know, a franchisee who's looking at purchasing maybe two or three territories, maybe they're looking to have 80 to 160 bins between their territories, they're most likely going to want to be a part of our bin location service. So that was kind of by popular demand. Franchisees said, hey, I can do it, but I don't really have the time. I have a full-time job. I want to be a part of closed bin because it's um, semi-absentee. So can we have you do that? So we've had a service for about two and a half years now where we will go out and we will help the franchisees. We'll agree on whatever the rental price will be. We'll agree on the areas that we're targeting and we'll go out and sign up the locations for bins for the franchisees. So um, you mentioned rental price. I guess I didn't realize that there is a charge for having these bins in a parking lot of a grocery store or at a church. What does that look like? Sure. So that's uh, another differentiator uh, about what we do at Closed Bin. 
Again, like I said, there are other bins uh, that you've seen out there. Maybe you've seen red bins, blue bins, white yep. bins. Um, maybe after <laughs> hearing this, this interview, you'll start to see them more um, around your area. But we always have written permission for every location where we place a bin. We also, in almost every case, pay a fair rent to that landlord. Because we could take the approach of, we're a green recycling company, we're saving the earth, can we please place a bin here? Um, and you can get you know, permission to do that sometimes and be able to do that, but the bin might end up in the back of the parking lot. It might end up by the right. other dumpsters, so to speak. And mm -hmm. our bins are our billboards. Uh, they're bright green, they're almost seven feet tall, huge clothes bin, clothes and shoes. It's pretty obvious what they are, and we want those to be as front and center as a landlord will agree to do. So that mm -hmm. is something that we do. Um, we don't have inventory costs. We don't have cost of goods sold. We're not purchasing these clothes in the way that you would purchase food for resale at a restaurant. So we invest in rents, and we partner with our landlords, and they have confidence in us um, to do two things. Number one, pay that rent on time. But number two, and probably more important to them, is keep the bin clean. Keep the area around right. the bin clean. We're able to show right. up with technology that will do that. The business phone number of every franchisee is on the bin. And I can tell you for sure, if a franchisee isn't answering their phone, their second call is to us at corporate, and we can kind of assist and step in. So that helps us get better types of locations because of the written permission, the technology, and paying for the uh, locations. Yeah, I love that. Now, you said that the minimum number of bins for a new franchisee is 40. Um, Nick, I don't have room in my garage for 40 bins. How sure. does that work? And they're not going to have 40 locations on day one. Absolutely. So that's all a part of our logistics. And that's actually a COO. That's uh, what I oversee. And we deliver bins in sets of 20. And the reason we deliver bins in sets of 20 is if you can picture a 53-foot trailer driving down the highway, two bins next to each other, 10 deep, fill almost about 52 of those 53 feet of the inside of that trailer. So we time when a franchisee comes into the system with when their training program will be to sign up the locations. And we deliver the bins typically when they have close to the 20 bins uh, location signed for their leases. So we don't want to just be delivering bins and the franchisees, like you said, uh, have a driveway or a yard full of bins. Obviously, mm -hmm. that doesn't do them well either. So we time the delivery of those bins based on the training programs or based on our bin location services so that when we're delivering those bins to our franchisees, we're taking them to locations and they're going live. So that's, uh, we're actually in each franchisee's territory at least three times. We're there for the one-week training program, and we're there for both deliveries of bins. We have uh, two representatives go for about three days, and they receive the bins, spend time with the franchisee. If they'd like us to help train their new employee, we can do that as well, too. We help drop off the bins, place the bins. We kind of show that all uh, in person at that stage. But that's how we do it is in sets of 20. Uh, my goal is to have franchisees within 90 days start to be ready to receive their first set of 20 bins. And my next goal is about 30 days later, sometimes four weeks to the day, deliver that second set. 
But, you know, depending on things like COVID or uh, work schedules, we try to also work around uh, franchisees with that as well uh, to make sure that the timing's right. But our franchisees wouldn't be too happy if we just hurried up, produced the bins, and, and delivered to them, and they had nowhere right. to place them. Right, right. Now, is it necessary to have an office space for um, the franchisees? No. And uh, so what, what's interesting is that that question is almost global at this point. Is it necessary to even have office space for, for many industries with, uh, right. with, this, with this remote working? But, uh, but not to go off on that tangent, but yeah. what we have uh, as part of our equipment is each franchisee will either rent or purchase a 53-foot trailer. So just like the one I was talking about that goes along the road, yep. and we park, we park that as a storage trailer. Mm. Maybe we're moving bin locations. Maybe we're moving a bin from one place to the other. Or maybe we're delivering the 20, and we only have 18 signed. That's a storage unit that could hold those two bins. It can hold the supplies. Part of our supplies are the garbage bags in case people don't place clothes in the bags. We can uh, right. bag those up. Cleaning supplies, things like that. Um, and also... Maybe you're not selling the clothes uh, locally. Maybe, again, COVID, maybe mm -hmm. the thrift store in your area was forced to close down. They can't buy from you anymore. And all mm -hmm. of them were closed across the country. So we had a major shift of franchisees at pretty much 100% rate switching over to the national buyer program. So clothes can also be stored on that trailer. And when you're selling through the national buyer program, we're selling in big volume. So we're selling literally that entire 53 foot trailer is full of clothes to about mm -hmm. 38 to 40,000 pounds of clothes. And that can mm -hmm. be delivered anywhere that the truck can go. I see. I see. And that national buyer program, that is something that, um, that you as the franchisor have um, a, a, a contract in place. We have many, correct. We have many buyers that are part of this program. It's built on Mark's experience in owning multiple thrift stores where he was a purchaser from these same types of buyers of the trailers of clothing. And we work to try to find the closest buyer to each franchisee so that the freight costs are lower, whether the franchisee is paying for it themselves, the buyer's paying for it, or it's being split. We're looking for um, the closest buyers. So we don't necessarily want to sell from Northern California to Miami, as an example. It's going to mm -hmm. be very expensive from a freight standpoint. Mm -hmm. But we assist each franchisee with that process. And I can tell you that uh, for the last three or four months, we have been on the phones with many new buyers, many buyers from the past who we never needed before, just based on maybe one of the buyers had an outbreak and they had to shut down for two or three weeks. Our franchisees mm -hmm. were still collecting clothes. They needed to still be able to sell the goods and all of our franchisees stayed open during COVID because recycling is an essential business across the country. So uh, we're helping them. We're coordinating that. We're introducing them to the buyers and then they'll be paid directly by the buyers. So we're not in the middle of that process. We set up them up as a customer, but we assist them with finding the customers, setting that up and also making sure the logistics work. So maybe it needs to be loaded on a Saturday because a franchisee works Monday through Friday but it needs to be delivered by a Wednesday. So we need to pick the right buyer based on distance and mileage. And that's a service that we provide uh, through the National Buyer Program. Sure, sure. It, it sounds like you guys have been able to pivot pretty quickly 
to help your franchisees um, continue with their business. What are some of the other ways that COVID, and Lord have mercy, uh, none of us saw this coming, so none of us were prepared for it. And, I'm all, and I always admire those franchisors that are able to pivot quickly uh, to help their franchisees. So what sure. are some of the other ways that this pandemic has impacted uh, the clothes band? Sure. I mean, in the beginning, we were just, you know, I think we were watching the news like everyone else was. And I remember having conversations yeah. in the beginning of March. Uh, you know, one of my uh, employees came up to me and said, hey, are, are we thinking about, you know, not coming to the office anymore? And I <laughs> looked at them like they were crazy. Like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And, like, <laughs> and uh, yeah. I, I started educating myself pretty quickly and saw how fast this was moving. So um, we had a team meeting. And uh, the very first thing we did when we especially saw the, the shelter-in-place orders that were um, happening in Northern California is that kind of rang a bell of, wow, they're shutting down six to seven million people in that city, in that Bay Area right now. And we need to look across the 15 states where we have franchisees and look into all of those essential recycling um, rules because we had a very good handle on that. Um, from the state of Florida, being uh, where we're based in South Florida, but we did that. So my team and I, uh, and I, and I really want to thank my team for how much uh, time we put in, uh, especially in March and April. But we went ahead and researched all of the municipal rules in the cities, counties, state ordinances for every franchisee, and we put together their essential recycling business. We put together the information from the WHO and the CDC, which we all know was changing, right? At one point, do not wear masks, and now it's mandated, right? But watching those right. things, sharing that with franchisees, and providing that to them, because franchisees didn't want to get in trouble, right? They didn't know, can I be driving around or not? Um, so we put together all that information, and also for their employees. Their employees, you know, may have been scared or wondering, how do I get coronavirus? Is it airborne? Is, am I going to get it from yep. touching clothes? So we, you know, put all that information together, and I feel that we were about three business days ahead of the curve all the way across until we finished because it, it felt like it kind of moved from the West Coast to the East Coast, and I felt like we were kind of racing that to be able to do that. But we did that. We provided that for all of our franchisees and, and throughout the entire time, no one was ever forced to close um, for any type of coronavirus rules. Wow. That's, that is amazing. And, you know, what comes out of these type of events, Nick, I think is there's um, a great amount of creativity out of desperation, but it's still creativity in changing the way that you're doing something or the changing the way that you deliver something. So um, I think that we can all come out of this stronger and better in the midst of it. It doesn't quite feel that way, but I do think great things come out of times like this. Now we're, we, we're coming up on a commercial break. So I would love to hear some stories, maybe some stories of your franchisees, um, I'm, I'm fascinated with this, this concept, Nick, I'll tell you, because I have shopped at thrift stores for quite a few years and, um, uh, they're, they, they carry designer brands and, but it's just the little family thrift store. And then there's all those boutique type of resale shops that are making it, um, I think more acceptable to buy clothes that have been used. So 
I love this concept. I really do. So when we come back from commercial break, Nick, do you have some stories you could share with us? Absolutely. Very good. Folks, we're going to be right back after these commercial breaks. Do you know a family fighting cancer? The Jest Foundation nonprofit was founded right here in Katy, Texas, by cancer survivor Michelle Perzan, whose vision is to assist those currently fighting by providing grants to help support family needs, whether spiritually, emotionally, or financially. Michelle and her family know all too well that there comes a time when the day-to-day needs we take for granted become impossible. Jest Foundation has been able to bless 100% of the applications submitted, and now they need your help. Find out more by going to JustFoundation.org. House Talk Radio. Join Tony and Wendy Gambone on House Talk Radio, where they talk all things house. From tips on home repairs and remodeling to best practices on buying and selling a home, hiring contractors, home loans, and insurance as well as decorating ideas and how to get the most bang for your buck. If you would like more information about House Talk Radio, go to housetalkradio.com. Are you dreaming of owning your own business but just don't know where to begin? The wait is now over. Linda Ballesteros is a catalyst to becoming a business owner through franchising. Whether you are looking to create a living that will allow you to leave corporate America, change your lifestyle, allowing you to enjoy the fun things in life, or if you're looking to build a legacy that will support your family for years to come. Contact Linda today to start the process of being your own boss. Linda at EmpowerFranchiseConsulting.com, 832-640-4922. Hey folks, welcome back to All Things Franchising. This is Linda Ballesteros, and we are talking to Nick Boraliu, and he is with The Clothes Band. So, Nick, when we broke to commercial break, I asked if you happen to have some stories that you could share with us. Sure. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. A lot of my stories kind of come back to the beginning, and I think there's been time during COVID. This business, we've all been to kind of reflect and, and look back on things and see how different mm-hmm. things have become. But uh, it's it's kind of a two-part story. I'll, I'll try to make it quick. Um, but okay. one of them don't, just, don't worry yeah. about making it quick. I love the stories. Sure. Um, you know, well – I think one of them is just, you know, kind of perseverance and not quitting. And that kind of leads me into our our first franchisee. So, um, you know, I talked about how we got started with the franchise. And uh, what was interesting is is that we put together the entire franchise system before we ever tested or we ever went to market. And looking back, that might have been a little crazier than I thought. Uh, I think I was busy in doing that. But uh, for pretty much the entire year of, of 2015, we, you know, we had, we put everything together, we had it ready to go, and we had absolutely no idea how to sell the business. We had no idea how to mm-hmm. explain to someone, especially back in 2015, um, what textile recycling was, what textiles were, that people would even get rid of clothes. It, it took an hour uh, to explain to someone, and you maybe had 15 to 20 seconds of their attention. Um, so I, I kind of fast forward, but I, I like to talk about that because in, in 2015, our revenue was zero dollars. Um, and there were plenty of times, three months in, six months in, nine months in, of uh, not having any revenue of thinking, Hey, you know, maybe this was just an idea we thought was a great idea, but the, you know, the market, um, you know, doesn't want to bear and have it. 
but what happened was is that uh, our, our first franchisee is named Andy, and he's in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. He came around in uh, August of 2016. And uh, the, the funny story in this was that we'd gone all this time. We had not awarded any franchises. Uh, and, and Andy comes in, and he sends a, an email, and then he sends a second email from the website, and then he calls the office line. And I was traveling, and uh, I, I was going to see my family and my parents, and, and I was like, if you don't mind, I'm going to take this call because I can't believe it. someone actually is <laughs> looking at, <laughs> at Clothesman, and, and they've, they've emailed twice, and they've called. I'm like, this is a, I'm, it must be a crank call, right? So, um, so I, I called Andy, and we had a, about an hour and a half conversation, and uh, it was funny because he uh, was an engineer by trade. And he had never been an entrepreneur. He had never worked for himself. Uh, he was always on W-2, always had a paycheck every two weeks. And he said, you know what? I've lost control of that. And I don't like yep. that feeling. I don't like where I am with that anymore. I don't want to be in this position again. Uh, I know you're saying send me absentee and all these things. I want to be full-time. I want to do this 100% full-time. I'm like, well, that's not really what this is. But I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, so I'm going to buy six territories. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, okay, so. Now what do I do? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, Andy, I said, well, I'm just going to tell you right now that, um, you know, we're only going to allow uh, at most just to start with this uh, two territories. And, <laughs> and he kind of laughed and he said, that was actually the last um, comment I ever expected to hear back from you. And I said, well, I said, Andy, I have to tell you something. I said, you are you would be our first franchisee. I said, so you must be successful. And I said, I can't have you buy yeah. six and things aren't working out. Um, two was negotiated to four. He ended up with three. And then about nine months later, he did end up uh, buying a fourth franchise. Um, but it's just a, kind of a funny story because, um, you know, sometimes it's darkest before the dawn. And, uh, and I, I kind of remember that. And I remember just thinking, it, it, you know, you keep working each day and, and going through things and you can have, you know, breaks and things that happen if you're able to, to pivot. And uh, so that's, that's kind of my franchisee story. That's Andy. He's our, he's our largest franchisee. He's our first franchisee. He's uh, still in business. Um, but the, that's my story. Yeah, I love that because um, what that tells me, Nick, is that you really want to see your franchisees succeed. And their excitement can sometimes take over when they are not sure um, you know, what reality is going to look like. So I think it's best to pace your franchisees without – uh, without getting them into a position where they would not be successful, and I've seen that happen, you know, just sure. just to just to bring the money in for for you. So you're in partners with them. You definitely want them to succeed, whether they're your first one or your um, you know your next one. You definitely want them to succeed. Uh, Nick, if somebody's listening right now and they are really intrigued by this, and I love it because there is a, uh, a, a certain amount of social responsibility that is built into this as well. I love that. So how would someone find out more about Clothesbin, uh, the franchise opportunity, and to reach out to you? Sure. Um, our corporate website is Clothesbin Franchise. Uh, dot com. 
our consumer-facing site, fillthebins.com. So if people are looking to find out more just about the program, maybe you're someone that's still looking to um, give clothes to the bins, that's uh, fillthebins.com. I can be reached at um, nick at closedbinfranchise.com or uh, at our office line at 844-FLL-BINS. Uh, Love it. So, Nick, we're down to the, those final three questions. And the first one is, if there's someone listening who's considers, considering purchasing a franchise, what would you suggest that they do to prepare for this process? Sure. So the, the first one um, is, is not a fun one, but I find it to be just so, so important. Um, you know, I advise a potential franchisee to actually read the entire FDD. Um, yeah. That's something that, believe it or not, um, people don't, right? They see a document, it might be 200, it might be 500 pages, uh, but the FDD portion of it, read the entire thing, go through those 23 items and really understand what's in there and take good notes and ask questions based on those notes. Um, I know mm -hmm. that a lot of people will use an attorney to help them with, uh, with looking at the documents. Uh, my advice on that is always use a franchise attorney just because you have a, yes. a time with an attorney. There are many, many different specialties and practices, and you can kind of save a lot of uh, time and effort if you use a, a reputable franchise attorney. But really to, to read the FDD, make those detailed notes, and, and ask questions because there's so much in there that you might find out later, um, and you might have made a different decision, maybe, or you might have asked those questions in the beginning and, and had clarification and maybe uh, not been upset later about something that you saw there. So, um, you know, really yeah. reading, reading that. Yeah, yeah, that is critical because that's your contract. That's what you're agreeing to. <laughs> that's important yep. to know. Um, and those, those documents are lengthy but it is still critical to know what's in it. The next question here is, what are two traits that make a successful franchisee? Uh, I'm going to go with current. Um, I didn't mention this before, but it's kind of funny. I've been in franchising uh, for what feels like a pretty long time now. Um, and uh, I kind of say that uh, whatever happened in 2019 in the past was, was great experience, but it might, may or may not be applicable right now. Um, so whether that's, you know, looking at past performance or things like that, if you're looking to buy a franchise, but I think right now what I've seen in our franchisees, um, is, is perseverance, right? So mm -hmm. expecting the unexpected and taking one day at a time. Um, mm -hmm. I can tell you right now when safer at home orders, safe at home orders, all those things were coming across, especially here in South Florida. And it was groups of less than five. And I knew we wouldn't be able to work in our offices again. Um, I didn't know if anyone was going to leave their house. I didn't know if the bins would literally receive no clothes. Um, but that wasn't something for me to worry about then because I had no control over that. What I needed to worry about was the essential businesses and making sure that we were contacting buyers. So I think a good franchisee uh, has that perseverance. And I've been really proud to see our franchisees because they have other jobs too that have been adding stress and sickness and things like that. Uh, and then adaptability, uh, you know, mm -hmm. being willing to change how you've always done things. Uh, a lot of us, uh, including myself, uh, have, are creatures of habit. Uh, we've done things a certain way. Um, you know, even talking with, with Mark, he's been in the industry over 30 years. He's been doing things differently in the last six months than he's ever done as well, too. Um, so mm -hmm. showing that adaptability, 
And, you know, having that vulnerability with our franchisees, I think is super important. But I would say perseverance and adaptability are the two traits that are going to make you successful, especially in this environment. Yes, most definitely. I didn't say it um, earlier, folks, but I want to let you know that today is September the 10th, 2020. So everything that we've been talking about, you understand when I say this is 2020. No more needs to be said about that. So the final question here is, what does the future of franchising look like? You've been in franchising for quite some time in multiple industries. Where do you see it going? You know, the one thing I see where I see it going um, is is stronger relationships between franchisees and franchisors. And I don't just mean yes. through franchisee advisory councils and that, that third-party uh, kind of feel. Um, I think that franchisors need to bend more than they've ever bent. Um, we, back in March, stopped collecting royalties, and we stopped and forgave all of our royalties and technology fees for the end of March, wow. April, May. June, July, and we've forgiven the royalties in, in August as well. And we Amazing. did that because, yeah, we, we, I looked at my team and I said, we can continue charging royalties and start losing franchisees possibly at this last more than two weeks. Remember when it was supposed to last two weeks back in March? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yep. And uh, so I'm, I'm generally someone that is a dot the I, cross the T's, FDDs, um, but I really think during what's happened now, it's just at such a, a different level than anyone's been used to um, that just I think the future of franchising is, is I don't want to say being buddy-buddy or friendly, but just having a much more open dialogue, uh, even doing video conferencing and things with franchisees. I got to know their kids and their dogs and things that would have never mm-hmm. happened if it wasn't for this. And I thought that I was communicating well um, with phone calls and emails and talking to them, not just text messages or something like that. But that video uh, level and and getting to know people and maybe their spouse who had never met walks into the room or maybe my kids are crying and my dogs are barking. uh, It gives that human element that we're all kind of going through the same thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But post COVID, I think um, that the future of franchising is, is technology. Um, that's something that I don't know if I would have wanted to get involved in closement if we didn't have that technology aspect. I think that's something that's important. But you're seeing some franchises now that have robots that are serving ice cream. Um, yep. You have a lot of contactless type of methods. So I think that uh, the, the technology is going to be a very, very big push um, in the future of franchising. Mm. I, I, I do believe you're right there, but I also believe – so, Nick, that uh, technology can't take the place of a franchisor genuinely being sure. concerned with a, the success of a franchisee. And you guys are certainly delivering that message um, because it's important for a franchisee, just like any other customer, they're your customer, um, just like any other customer, you want to be more than a number. A franchisee sure. wants to be more than a territory to you. So for you to show your genuine concern about their success and waiving those fees, it speaks volumes for Clothesbin, absolutely volumes for Clothesbin. Again, Nick, if someone's listening right now and they want more information, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. Email's great. Uh, Nick at ClothesbinFranchise.com. That's our our website as well. Uh, Or on our uh, office line, 844-FLL-BINS. 
Nick, it's been great having you on the show today. I am really excited for the future of Clothesband, and we're going to certainly stay in touch. Thank you so much, Linda. It's great to be on. Very good. Uh, so, folks, as I've said to you many, many times, there are so many industries that are using the franchise business model to deliver their products and services. Don't get turned off when somebody says it's a franchise. It is a delivery method, and franchising is really becoming the way to do that. Leaving with you with a quote today, recycling turns things into other things, which is like magic. That's, that's by an unknown author. I could take that and call it my own, I guess, because I really like that. Recycling turns things into other things, which is like magic. Folks, thanks so much for joining me today on All Things Franchising. Seeing you next time. Another great episode of All Things Franchising is now in the books. You can listen to past shows by following All Things Franchising on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for joining us today. And be sure not to miss us next time when we bring you a brand new episode of All Things Franchising.